the 8th Psalm, the 8th Psalm, it's a short little Psalm. It's a Psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the work of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Amen. First thing this psalm tells us, and it's confirmed in John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, which coincidentally we read this morning. First thing it tells us is that He created us. Verse 5, He made us a little lower than the angels. God has great myriads, incalculable number of angels, fantastic creatures of great might and power. There is a hierarchy of angels. There are archangels. Michael, the great warring angel, is an archangel. Gabriel, the messenger angel, is an archangel. Even Lucifer, at one time, was the anointed cherub that covereth the throne of God, an archangel. But through his pride who wanted to usurp the very place and throne of God, was evicted and cast out of heaven. God has seraphim and cherubim, and he has living creatures, as it said in Revelation, strange, mighty creatures with six wings that surround the throne of God that cry, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty, day and night forever they do it. Angels are physically and mentally superior to human beings. Angels can appear and disappear at will. Angels can even appear if they so desire, if necessary, as men. That's why the Bible says, be careful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Angels instantly obey the commands of God. It tells us they're sent to minister to those who are heirs of salvation, which is us. Psalm 104, verse 4, God makes His angels' spirits and His ministers a flame of fire. And yet in spite of all of their incredible ability, in spite of all of their power and all of their beauty and all of their majesty, 
Amazingly, God prefers us above them. In Genesis 1, it tells us in the creation story, verse 26, God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image and the image of God created he him. Male and female he created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God said, See, I've given you every herb that yields seed which is on the face of all the earth. Every tree, <coughs> excuse me, whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be for food. And also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps in the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. And God saw that everything that he had made, indeed it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Verse 7 of chapter 2. And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. And so God created us as living souls. We are the pinnacle of God's creation. We are the jewel in the crown of all God's creation. You and I are the only part of God's creation that can voluntarily worship Almighty God. God can get the very stones to cry out and worship if He so desires. He can make that happen. But He gives us the choice to voluntarily praise Him. A little while ago, before I got up to speak, we were worshiping and we were praising Almighty God. And God loves that. He loves it that He's not making us to do it. We do it because we want to do it and we enjoy doing it and He enjoys receiving it. So of all of God's creatures, you're the only one that has been made in His image. You have been endowed with extraordinary faculties that no other animal or no other creature has got. He has put within you a spirit. And with that spirit, you can witness with God's spirit that you are His child. And you can worship Him and you can obey Him and you can love Him and you can serve Him and you can be led by His spirit. And you can understand His Word and you can understand His purposes and you can obey His commands. You're the only creature on God's earth that Jesus came to die for. That makes you incredibly important to God. Incredibly important to God. God has such a vested interest in each of our lives. Men today are interested in saving the ozone layer the bald eagle, the baby seals, the rainforest, the oceans, the planet. But God's priority is the saving of men's eternal souls because you are an eternal creature. That's why the Bible says that God has put eternity in our hearts. There is something eternal about us. There's something about us will never, ever, ever die. Throughout all eternity, 
we shall be alive. Death will not be the end for us. The stuff of eternity is in us. And the resurrection proves it, does it not? And so he made us a little lower than the angels. And then it says he came to us. Verse 4, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? Within the vast reaches of the universe that we mentioned this morning, within all those billions of galaxies and billions of stars and probably billions of planets, Yet there is only one that God has ever personally visited. And that's this one. And the reason why is simple. It's because this is where we are. This is where creatures made in His image are. Notice here the first word that's used, man. What is man that you're mindful of Him? And the word is enosh. There's various words used for man in the Hebrew language, but this is Enosh. And Enosh means man that has fallen, man that has failed, man in all of his human weakness because of the fall. That's what it's saying. That's the man that God has visited. And the son of man is literally here. In the Hebrew, there's no the son of man. There's no definite article. The son of man means the son, or means the son of Adam. Son of Adam. Just as God came to earth to visit Adam in his perfect state in the Garden of Eden before the fall, so he comes to visit the sons of Adam in their fallen state. Aren't you glad that God visited us in our fallen state? It's wonderful when you read that he came to the Garden of Eden in the cool of the day to, uh, to have a wonderful intimate relationship with Adam before the fall. And that's wonderful. That's what was intended. But isn't it a wonder? Isn't it a marvelous thing that he visited fallen man, the sons of Adam who had fallen in their weakness, in all of their sinfulness. He has come to visit us. Emmanuel, God with us, the Word became flesh. This planet is the only rebel planet in the universe. It is the only planet that is insubordinate. <laughs> it's the only planet that shakes its fist at Almighty God. And yet, He has come to visit us. Only mankind can refuse the will of God. <laughs> and yet, He has come to visit us. Again, it's the Advent season. This is why I'm preaching these things. To remind us that Christ has come to visit us. That He came 2,000 years ago. That God sent Him to be with us and to save us. Satan, of course, is the leader of this great cosmic rebellion. He was kicked out of heaven because of his pride. He infiltrated Eden. He caused the fall of man. And ever since, he's been holding men captive. That's why the Bible says presently, he is the God of this world. He's the prince of the power of the air, the Bible says. But aren't you glad that 
he came to us. And then it says here, he crowns us. And you have crowned him with glory and with honor. You are the only creature on God's earth that he is crowned with glory and with honor. You say, David, I'm not sure I realized that God has crowned us with glory and honor. Well, he has. He's made you the pinnacle of all of his creation. He has honored you above all of his creation. He's put you right at the very top because he made you and you alone in his image. You're the only one that will ever receive a crown from the King of Kings and the Lord of all glory. Did you ever think about the crown that you possibly could receive from the King of Kings? What a wonderful moment that will be when God says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And we come into his presence and he rewards us as we taught this morning at his judgment seat. And he gives us crowns. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, Paul says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. The Olympiads that Paul watched, he saw them striving and practicing and training. He saw their effort in the race. He saw them bursting through that finishing line. He saw them on the dais. He saw them getting that wreath, that laurel wreath, that crown. He says that's what they do it for, for the prestige, for the honor, for the record. But he says we do it to receive an imperishable crown. Not for all of that, but for his glory for his honor. Who gets the imperishable crown? He who is temperate in all things. That means those who keep in check their urges and their passions and their desires and their flesh that want to do the wrong thing, that want to dishonor God, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we keep that in check within this body that God has given us. And he says, if we do that, like an athlete keeps in check his physical body to run a physical race, there are spiritual disciplines in our lives that helps us to keep our flesh in check. And if we do that and we're temperate in all things, he said, at the end of it, God will reward you with an imperishable crown. It's good to get a reward, isn't it? A little book of James that we've been studying for a while. Hebrew James, chapter 1. 
Blessed is the man who endures temptation. This is verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now remember when we did the book of James, we talked about tests and trials and temptations. How some come from without, some come from within. Well, he goes on to talk about those that come from within after that, but those that come from without, the persecutions, the hard times, the difficulties, when people and circumstances make it difficult for us because we're followers of Jesus Christ. And trust me, it's going to become more difficult to be followers of Jesus Christ. The pressure is going to come more on the followers of Jesus Christ. It's heating up because these are the last days. This is what the Bible has prophesied and promised would happen. And so James says, for those who endure, for those who come through, for those who endure trials and difficulties and hard times and persecutions, who are even obedient, perhaps even unto death. What does he say? For that one, there will be a crown of life. A crown of life. And then in second, sorry, in First Thessalonians, you may not want to turn to all of these, of course. First Thessalonians in chapter two, <laughs> towards the end of chapter two. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, but not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and our joy. This crown of rejoicing, this is the soul winner's crown. The soul winner's crown. Paul says, you're my crown. You're my glory. I won you to Christ. I don't know, I'm not going to ask anybody to put their hand up tonight. Have you ever led anyone to Christ? It is the most marvelous thing to do. Think about this. If every single one of us in this church just led one person to Christ, if everybody in this nation as a believer just led one person to Christ, think of the explosion there would be of revival. And there's a crown for it. A soul winner's crown. To be able to share the scriptures with somebody, to be able to sit down and then finally when they say, yes, I'm ready, I want Christ, and you take them by the hand and you pray that prayer with them. What a thrill, what a joy that is to know that you've saved a sinner from a lost eternity. And there's a reward for that. That's worth going for, isn't it? You say, David, I've never done that. I'm not sure if I could do that. Sure you could. Every single one of you could do that. Every one of us. 
It's not that difficult. We just need a few scriptures just to be at hand. You don't need to preach a sermon to them. Just a few scriptures. Take them through that. Pray. And when they're ready, and if they're ready, and the Holy Spirit has opened up their heart, and they're ready, then you can pray that prayer with them. And you can get them just to ask Christ to be their Savior and their Lord and forgive them of their sins and get them ready for heaven. What a joy, what a thrill, what a glory that is. And there's a crown, a soul winner's crown. Now then, 2 Timothy chapter 4. verse 6, Paul says, this is right at the end of his life, For I am ready, already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. But note this, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Before I got up, Clifford spoke about this, didn't he? Are we looking for his appearing? Do we ever give it a second thought that soon and very soon it is imminent He's at the door. The midnight hour is about to be struck. Even so, the Bible says, come Lord Jesus. The early church had a saying, when they would meet one another, they would embrace and kiss in the cheek and say, Maranatha, the Lord cometh. That was their cry. That was their heart. They couldn't wait till the Lord was coming. The crown of righteousness is for all those that love his appearing and live their lives in the light of his soon coming. Now, I know that we've got a lot to get on with in this life and I know that you're probably not anxious to, to depart just yet. But there's something about thinking about his coming that it prepares us for his coming. It causes us to search these scriptures to see the signs of his coming. Now there's a lot of talk today about the 21st of December, the Mayan calendar and the end of the world's going to happen and people's get carried away with the nonsense of all that. Well, it, the Lord could come back on the 21st of December. We don't know. In fact, Jesus doesn't even know. He's left that to the Father. But truthfully, we do not know when he's coming but we do know it's soon because we see the signs. We see the signs. Just as the farmer looks up at the sky and he looks at the color of the sky, he knows whether it's going to rain or whether it's going to be a good day tomorrow, he reads the signs. The signs are in this book. And every time I watch the news at night, I see this book coming true. I see the signs happening before my very eyes. You know, over this past 33 years, for those of you who have been with me all that time, you know we have taught from the book of Revelation again and again and again. We went through it again and again. 
And the amazing thing is, every time you teach on it, there's been prophecies that's been fulfilled since the last time. That's how quick they're happening. All the time, they're happening. And so we need to understand that He is truly coming very, very soon. So we need to live our lives in the light of that, realizing that we don't know how long there is left before He comes. But until He comes, we've got to work and labor while there's still light because the night comes when no man can work, Jesus said. But there's a crown of righteousness that awaits us. And then the final one in Second Peter. Sorry, First Peter. First Peter chapter five. Verse one: The elders who are among you, I have, I exhort. I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers. Not by compulsion, but willingly. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but by being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. This is for the shepherds of the flock. I'm glad that I'm not left out. <laughs> I'm glad there's an opportunity for me to also get a crown, a crown of glory. For those who feed the flock, for those who rightly divide the word of truth, for those who build up the body of Christ in their most holy faith. What a privilege. What an honor it is for me and many like me to stand before a congregation and to break open the bread of life. One day I will be accountable for this before God. But if I do it well, and if I do it right, and if I do it for the right motivation, if I don't do it because of, if I, if I, if I only do it because of compulsion, because I'm made to do it, or for some worldly gain, then I will not receive a reward. I'll not get a crown of glory. But if I do it for the right reasons and I do it in the right way, there's a good chance, thank God, that I too will receive a reward from Him. Glory to God. Amen. And then finally, He created us, He came to us, He crowns us, and He confers upon us. What does He confer upon us? all the privileges and responsibilities to run this universe. Did you see what it said there in Psalm 8? Verse 6, You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. 
You put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. That's exactly the same as Genesis 1, isn't it? But we know that in Genesis, we know that Adam lost his first estate. And we know that he lost his dominion that God had given him over this earth to run this earth for him. And we know that he lost that dominion, that authority that he had. Now there's certain vestiges. Man does have certain powers over certain things, but not to the extent that God intended and not to the extent that will happen in the future. Adam lost control over three worlds. The animal world, the vegetable world, the mineral world. And it's been a constant battle against those three worlds ever since for mankind, has it not? Oh, yes, you go to the circus or go to the zoo and you see Leo the lion, you see Bruin the bear, you see all of that, but try to go out into the national park in Africa somewhere where there's no bars and there's no cages. See if you can tame them without a gun or without a trap. That bear will eat you alive. That lion will pounce on you and grab you by the throat. <laughs> no matter how nice you talk to it. Man has lost so much of his authority, even in the whole animal kingdom. Remember, Adam named all the animals that came before him. There's no fear. He had total control. He was in control. But he lost all of that. And that's a constant battle, isn't it? What about the vegetable world? By the sweat of your brow. Anybody that's got a garden, by the sweat of your brow, isn't it? I mean, just leave that garden alone for a couple of weeks, see what happens. Come up and see mine, you'll see what happens. I was hoping all those leaves that would blow over the trees, I was hoping I was going to spread them all with my good neighbors. Well, they actually, most of them is blew into my garden. They're stuck there. So I said to Sally this week, I'm going to have to go out and rake those jolly things up and get rid of them because they're starting to rot. Constant battle, isn't it? 1845 to 1852, Ireland had a tremendous famine. It became known as the potato famine because of a few bad winters and a few other things that were happening. Blight happened. Disease affecting potatoes. The trouble was, out of eight or nine million people that lived in Ireland at that time, three million of them were totally and utterly dependent upon potatoes for food. They had nothing else. The poor people and the farmers and the rural countryside. It's all they had. So when the potato famine struck, when that vegetable world struck, a million people starved to death and died of diseases because of starvation. A million people 
and a million people immigrate from Little Ireland. We had no control over the vegetable kingdom. That changed history in Ireland. That changed the culture of Ireland. It changed everything in Ireland. The ramifications still go on to this day. So no, we don't have dominion over this anymore at this present time. Yeah, we can control some, but not all. Now we have GM foods, genetically modified foods. Who knows where that's going to lead to? That's a Pandora's box that could open. Who knows where that's going to lead to? What are we doing that for? To try to control and control and have dominion over. And as soon as we think we're in control, suddenly something happens. We find we're not in control. Ash trees all over Britain are dying. Dying because of a disease. We can't seem to control it. What about the mineral world? Have we got control over earthquakes or volcanoes or tsunamis? I don't think so. No. It's been a constant battle ever since. But do you know what? There's going to come a day when we have a new heavens and a new earth and we will be in control. We'll be in control over everything. It will be as God intended it to be before sin came in and wrecked it. Aren't you glad for that? He confers upon us rights and privileges to run this universe for Him. You say, David, are you sure about that? I'm absolutely sure about it. Let me just give you this last scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Look what this says in verse 1. Paul writing to the church at Corinth who had all kinds of problems and fightings and arguments among each other. And he says, Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. It is so that there is, is it so that there's not a wise man among you, not even one who will be able to judge between his brethren, but brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers? No, he says, these things shouldn't happen. He says, you should be able to deal with these things. He says, do you not know that one day you're going to rule this world under God? He says, do you not know that one day you're going to rule the angels under God? Do you not know that? This, Mike, is really, really annoying me tonight. Don't know why that is, but it is. I saw a clip on YouTube. Somebody sent me a clip on YouTube last week. You can check it out. Preacher in America. And he's preaching on love. The love of God. 
1 Corinthians 13. And he's waxing eloquently about the love of God. And you can see the congregation sitting and children are crying and people's going about and you can see him just kind of get a little bit agitated as it goes on. And then the crown of awe, a lady in the congregation, her phone rings, her mobile rings. She gets it out and she starts a conversation. <laughs> He's preaching about the love of God. So he leaves the Bible down, he walks off the platform and here he is. He does like this. Sticks his hand out. Ziff, give me the phone. She puts the phone in his hand. You know what he does? He throws it down. Bang! Hits the floor in bits. And then he walks back to the pulpit and he preaches about the love of God. It's <laughs> <laughs> the funniest thing I've seen here. <laughs> Such an inappropriate scripture for that moment. <laughs> so at the risk of taking this microphone and throwing it down and jumping on it, <laughs> <laughs> Do you not know that you will judge the angels? Wow. That's a powerful statement, isn't it? That's a powerful statement. Think it's going to be boring in heaven? Don't think so. Sally hates me to say this. She really does. Really annoys her. Really see her when I say this. They're all watching you now. <laughs> Sally, my wife hates me to say this, but when you get to heaven, you're not going to be sitting down. You're going to be working. <laughs> She's just retired now. She thinks that's work's over. It's just beginning. And you get to heaven. But then I try to comfort her with this thought is, you'll not even need to sleep. You'll be so full of God's energy and life. You'll be bursting. I mean, you'll just be fit and ready to go. No aches or pains or, yeah, I mean, you'll just be going full steam ahead. It'd be wonderful, isn't it? She still doesn't like that idea. <laughs> but it's scriptural. <laughs> I've got the Bible on my side, you see. <laughs> so there you are, all right? So isn't God good? What is man that you are mindful of him? And son of man that you visit him, you've made him a little lower than the angels. But then, but then, we shall be above the angels. Glory to God. So this is practice. This is training ground. Hmm? This is where we train and we practice and we work and get ready for that great job that God's got in eternity for each and every one of us. Glory to God. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you.